Kia ora, and welcome to the New Zealand Property Market Podcast, brought to you by CoreLogic, produced by Agents TV for the 13th of February 2023. I'm Head of Research, Nick Goodall, and I'm joined by Chief Economist Calvin Davidson. Calvin, how you going, mate? Good weekend? Pretty good. Yeah, weekend was, was pretty normal, I guess. Um, yeah, we've been, been pretty stable weather, I suppose, just keeping an eye on what's going on around the rest of the country, really, and, and you know, keeping fingers crossed for everybody in the North Island is, is the main thing, really. So, uh, not going, going pretty good. And, um, yeah, you're back from Australia. Yeah, that's right. You had a good week last week in Sydney um, for sort of Wednesday to Friday, which was great and sort of looking a lot more long-term with the um, call the broader CoreLogic business, which is great to be involved in those com- conversations. And I'm sure many of our uh, listeners and, and clients will see some of the cool things which will be rolled out um, across you know both countries in the next couple of years too. So yeah, some some cool stuff going on there and amazing to work with some yeah, really cool and senior people across our business. So very privileged to to be part of those discussions. Um, as you say, of course, big, big consideration right now for everything that's going on, particularly in that you know, top half of the North Island. Um, know my family in Whangarei have certainly seen a lot of rain in the last 24 or so hours and, and a bit of flooding happening around their places. But so far, everyone seems to be okay um, in terms of not too much damage to their properties and and whatnot. But uh, that state of emergency continues on. So certainly our, our thoughts are with everyone that you stay safe out there, um, you know, within that, that Northland, Auckland region. I think it's even, you know, down Coromandel and parts of that East Coast as well. So, yeah, certainly... First thing is to to talk about that and, and get that sorted. Um, you almost feel bad, right? Like we've had some decent weather still in Wellington over the weekend and it's hard to even think about how bad things are up north because you were sort of going about our business here. Um, but yeah, certainly, uh, you know, hope, hope things go okay. And I think the worst is is yet to come, So, but not too far away. So we'll certainly be on alert for the next day or two as to what's going on up there and um yeah just hope that things don't get too bad and everyone's certainly been well prepared this time so hopefully that makes a difference with the uh, the extent of the damage across the the country too but um yeah now all good mate well um let's let's get into uh, property and data information from last week weren't too many full-on data releases um that came out but of course the key one for us was when we did get that biocertification data for January that we uh, updated on Friday. So I had a quick look at some of that data. Um, look, the key interpretation, once again, has to be that first home buyers, as a proportion of sales, held on pretty strong throughout January. It is worth noting that the number of deals being done over that month did reduce quite significantly. Um, so it's not to say there's more first home buyers out there, but their share is certainly holding on. Um, your interpretation from that January data, and then maybe you can work through as well. I know that we we talked about it briefly last week that you wrote an article delving a bit more into what was happening in that mortgage investor space um, with a greater focus, you know, on that on that previous data rather than waiting on that January data. So maybe talk about the other January data, the first time buyer strength, and then you know what you did when you delved into a bit more detail around what's happening in that investor space, Calvin. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, first home buyers, 25%, as you talked about in January, they've been pretty stable at sort of 24, 25% for a while in terms of market share. Like you said, quiet market in terms of sales, but but hanging on in terms of market share. So, doing pretty well, actually. Those, those are basically record highs. Uh, you know, lower prices have, have bought some some properties, I guess, back into range for, for first time buyers. There's those finan- non financial. Uh, motivations, you know, somewhere to somewhere to live, you know, somewhere to put down roots. That's quite important. Uh, and and I guess like we talked about last week, 
still using low deposit loans. You know, those those speed limits at the banks uh, are pretty important for first time buyers. Actually, one in every three are getting in with a without twenty percent deposit, and they pretty much take up all of that speed limit. So, so very hard to get a low deposit loan if you're not a first time buyer. So, so those are all factors, uh, and and yeah, I guess um, reduced competition as well from other groups, uh, uh, perhaps a few less investors, for example, at open homes, at auctions, that sort of thing. So, so first home buyers are, I guess, enjoying conditions. There'll be, you know, we only know what has happened as opposed to what hasn't happened, and I guess there'll be a lot of first home buyers still though struggling because you've still got to satisfy serviceability tests, income and expenses, get that deposit in the first place, apart from those ones who are getting in with low deposit. So yeah, there's there's still some challenges as well. I mean, other groups, cash, multiple property owners, still doing pretty well compared with their own history, 14, 15%. So again, stands to reason, you've got cash, you're, you're going to be enjoying conditions in a, in a relative sense. Movers, those relocating owner occupiers, kind of ticking along, doing their thing, nothing, nothing crazy, I guess. You know, some people have to move because of job reasons, family changes, these sorts of things. I suppose other people are just sitting back because they don't know how long a sale is going to take, what price they might get. If they don't have to sell, well, why would you? You might just wait it out. So uh, movers kind of doing their thing. I guess the weakest group in a relative sense compared with their long-run history is those mortgaged multiple property owners running at about 20% market shares. So uh, trying to bring a bit of balance here, I guess, you know, it's still one in every five deals is going to a mortgaged investor, you know, new builds could definitely be a target there for those tax reasons, but 20% is quite low for that group. They traditionally have a higher share. So um, lots of challenges for for those mortgaged investors that, and, and I guess maybe onto the second bit into, into the article that, that we put out, kind of looked at some of those issues and Again, bringing that balance, still pointing out that you know, it's still one in every five deals. It's not like mortgage investors have disappeared in terms of purchasing. And also, no real evidence that they're selling to a massive degree. So there'll always be sales going on, but it doesn't look like they're, they're exiting you know, in great numbers. So th there's that balance there. But on the other side, th there's lots of challenges which aren't hard to find. Look at low yields, flat rents, uh, higher mortgage rates. Interest deductibility is gone, uh, longer bright line test, you know, increased compliance costs. There's there's quite a few challenges there. And I guess for me, it's, I suppose, that, that trade-off between, you know, you, with a low yield and a high mortgage rate, if, if you're borrowing to invest, you're going to be topping that thing up out of other salary to, to a large degree, really. Uh, and so in some ways, that's always been the, the model. You sort of top it up for a while, but you're getting some capital gains, so you're kind of okay with that. But I just feel at the moment, you know, those top-ups are real cash. You know, it's going out every week, every month, every day, uh, versus that that sort of longer-term thing of getting some capital gain at some point on paper, you know, and it's that trade-off, which is probably quite difficult for people at the moment. And, you know, we're seeing it in the purchasing activity. It is, it is relatively low. So difficult to get those sums to work for that extra purchase to add to your portfolio or, or, or your first one. Um, so there are lots of challenges there, but yeah, just bring that balance. So there are still one in every five deals. It's just uh, that's quite a low market share. I guess you also talked in that article about what's ahead, and you know, I guess there'd be some would-be investors thinking about well, when more prices bottom out, you know, is that the time to buy? Uh, what what might the election do? You know, that potential change of government could interest deductibility be reinstated? Maybe looking at that thinking, should I try and buy in advance of that and you know, get ahead of the crowd? 
uh, and maybe even beat the DTI rules that, that could come in uh, early next year. So, yeah, there's there's lots of moving parts, but ultimately for me, I just think, you know, if I was running the numbers, I'd be thinking, man, I'm, I'm paying real cash every day for this versus that hope of of potential capital gains on paper at some stage. It's quite a hard quite a hard balancing act. And I guess we're seeing it in the data that the buying activity is relatively low. Um, so yeah, it's a bit of a ramble, but but that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I think it's a good summary, you know, and you're right that you know it is harder to justify buying a property for investment purposes today. And certainly when you compare it to the attractiveness in the past, it has changed. And then like you say, for you to do that, now, for you to want to buy today, you generally want to, or you're going to be banking on some form of capital gain long term. And I think the other hard part there is that, you know, it looks like there's, there's likely to be less capital growth in the future um, than there has been in the past. And we've talked about this previously, where, you know, there is that study done on Hamilton looking at the three main factors that influence housing over a long period of time. And, you know, a lot of those key reasons have changed now, you know, the likes of land being less developable um, and the growth in land prices, you know, the fact that now we can have that stronger intensification and densification in many parts of the country mean that, you know, we might not see the same growth in land prices over time. Um, the fundamental shift in interest rates, you know, dropping so far, you know, from what everyone talks about, the 20% interest rates to where we are now. And yes, of course, we can still see some downward pressure on interest rates in the long-term future, but you're not going to see that fundamental drop from 20% to 5% again. You know, it might go from where we're at six or seven back down to threes or fours or who knows, but it's not the same fundamental shift. Um, you know, and same thing with things like income growth over time as well. You know, I've seen some big changes in that space. Um, and I'm sure there's other factors that that you'll remember better than I. But, you know, when you look at that and you go, yep, so long-term capital growth might not be the same as it was in the past. Not to say it won't occur, and won't increase over time, but it might be more in line with income growth. And so again, and, and and from now on, you know, it might take a little bit longer to get to that point or to get to that average of you know three, four, five percent capital growth per year. So yeah, it's those sorts of things that'll certainly be key causing you know reason for pause for investors, especially when you've got other options which are starting to pay greater yield right now. Um, and yes, okay, the the one of the advantages of property, of course, is that leverage point that you can you know, go in with a much lower amount and borrow the rest to then buy a high-priced asset, which then if it increases at a similar uh, rate as your other potentially investments, you're getting a stronger return um, over time, especially if you're getting you know, a decent yield in terms of rental covering your costs. But that's, of course, the big question right now too. So I just think that all those factors must be weighing up to an investor right now or potential investor, let alone if they can even get that borrowing in the first place, you know, even if you can, then you've got to go, cool, can I actually make the profits and the or the sums justified here? So I think that those are the things to consider. And and um, I did see an article from Cam Bagri on Business Desk, which, you know, again, sort of looked at a similar thing saying, you know, it's not just the search for yield anymore, it's the wait for yield. And that's probably influencing all these key decisions right now as well. So, yeah, look, a lot to consider right there. Um, we know that property investment has been a strong, strong attraction for many people in New Zealand and, and with good reason. You know, the other one was, of course, tax purposes. And as you mentioned, uh, in terms of attractiveness, you know, that has changed recently, too, because of those things like Brightline and that interest deductibility um, change that was made started last year or year before. 
Jesus, I can't even remember that now. Um, potential for that to change, of course, in the future. But you know, all these things are certainly changing the the outlook and the profitability of investment. So, yeah, I think that's it's, a, it's such an interesting focus right now. And you know, and the reason it's in, it's important as well as I think the, you know, you sort of hinted at it there as well. Is when we start to look at the future and go, well, you know, we know that investor activity has been suppressed. Could we see the market turn around in the future because investors come back into the market? And even that's hard to see. But also, we want to recognise the fact that investors aren't getting out. And the investors that bought five or 10 years ago aren't subjected to the property value today compared to the rent they're getting. You know, they paid a lot less five and 10 years ago. So their mortgage will be a lot less than looking at someone who's evaluating the sums today. And based on that, they're again still not forced out of the market unless they have a significant change to their personal situation or that property is costing them so much that they still can't make it work. But as you say, we're not seeing a change in, act in activity from a selling point of view because we don't think those those things have affected them based on their original purchase price and their actual um, mortgage value right now, even if they're coming on to higher rates. So yeah, certainly just trying to make sure we keep that balanced view, but it is very clear it's hard to justify a purchase today compared to what it was in the past. And that's shown through in the activity that we're we're seeing through their bioclassification data. Yep, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I th just touching on that weight for yield thing, I guess the idea there is is around, well, a couple of things, I think, or at least my interpretation, is that, you know, interest rates could be a bit higher for longer than what people are thinking. So, um, you know, you it's harder to, I guess, get the, the cash flow to work because you'll be paying a higher mortgage rate for longer than, than what some people might be anticipating. And it could be that, so you, you've, you've kind of got to wait for, for property yields to to get to a point where it makes sense at those mortgage rates, you know, the, the relative balance between your return, your percentage returns and your percentage costs, I guess, waiting for that yield to come through. And it can be reasonably slow moving. Property yields don't change overnight, you know, it'll especially with rents flattening off now, it's going to take a while for, for property yields to kind of adjust upwards. I mean, you get some movement initially, let's say, over the next three or six months through falling property prices. But then if property prices flatline, then you've got to adjust yields through rents. So then you need to allow rents to rise to, to push that yield up. But that takes a while. So it, 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 a wait for yield is, is probably a good, pretty good way of, of describing it. And part of it, I think, is, I guess, the, the relative mix of returns. So... You know, for a while, I suppose the the model has been well. As long as it kind of pays for itself day to day, that's fine. All of my return will come through capital gain over time. Now, is it a case of saying, well, yep, I'll get some capital gain, but actually, should my focus be more on on day to day cash flow, and I, I need that that yield? Um, and so, you know, that's the waiting thing again. It could be a while till you actually get to that point where where the yields kind of do pay for themselves and, and justify the investment. So yeah, there's there's um I think some pretty good, pretty good arguments in there and pretty good thinking. And it and it kind of I suppose it yeah fits with kind of what's been kicking around in my mind for a while. You this isn't there's no rocket science here. You just you run some pretty basic numbers, which you know you can find any calculator out there. You know, look at what the yield is and what the rates might, you know, the income, I mean, the um, what the interest rates might be and you factor in maintenance and, and your property rates, your council rates. You know, it's not too difficult to do these sums. And and um, so it's probably been kicking around in my mind for a while. And, and again, just bringing that balance, there's still people buying. Yep, you can still, uh, you know, use your, your leverage if you can get the, the loan. You can sort of amplify your returns through that. 
Um, but yeah, there's 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 definitely some challenges for sure. And and I guess pointing out that new builds are still a pretty attractive option. There's quite a few new builds out there, so so people are looking at those too. But um, yeah, interesting environment for investors. And, and I think one of the things there is you know the once again and we would say, it would always come up I guess is the outlook on interest rates. And you know, I mean, it's people are going to have differing opinions here. Um, in terms of what the OCR is going to do. And of course, now there is this debate about how high the Reserve Bank needs to go. You know, Australia's actually started to, you know, get a bit more aggressive, well, aggressive in their thinking, I think, with how many future increases they're going to have to have when it had looked like they'd previously start to dial that back, you know. And even if we say, you know, in general, there's an agreement, well, agreement on expectations of OCR going up a couple more times, it's then what happens after that. And are we talking about plateau? Are we talking about it dropping? And how long could that be? And I know it's all, as we talk about, data dependent. And in this case, you know, economic dependent. You know, what happens with our economy? How bad? How deep? How long is the recession? For whether the Reserve Bank thinks they might have to stimulate the economy by dropping interest rates. And I don't know about you, but I think previously I thought, you know, we expected the Reserve Bank will probably overdo this, you know, make that, you know, in, in, in parentheses, you know, mistake. Um, but it, it does feel a bit more now that if we do have this more robust economy, yes, the recession comes, but it's not as bad as it could have otherwise been because we do have this debate about the impact of the floods and how that's kind of stimulatory for inflation. And so that might also mean that they have to hold the interest rates higher than otherwise. Um, you know, I previously was thinking there might be a chance the Reserve Bank has to drop the OCR later in the year. I'm now starting to come back from that and maybe it is more of a plateau. But again, data dependent we'll wait and see what happens in the next six months to see where that might go to but that's and that's maybe maybe your point and your interpretation from the Cam Bagri article again is that yeah you know we're not going to see OCR start to drop you know certainly anytime soon and certainly not to any great degree um, if and when it does do that whether it's later this year or into next year and maybe that's more the point as well it's like looking at that you know beyond six month um, viewpoint of the OCR and, and interest rates as opposed to what you know, generally gets talked about most, which is what's happening in the in the short to medium term future. So, yeah, and that's a really good one when you're considering, you know, where things might go to for anyone that is looking to buy a property right now. Um, you know, it's not just considering your interest rate now, but it's considering your interest rate in a year's time if you do take that fixed period and where could things be then? Yep, they might not be worse, but they're hardly going to be that much better either depending on that, that further outlook. So, yeah, look, certainly lots in there um, and, and, and a lot of it uncertain, of course. We know that. Um, but I think that's where, you know, it will cause people to sit on their hands a bit longer as well. You know, in uncertain times, you're certainly not jumping into something and you're going to stick with something that's maybe a bit more safe or a bit more certain. And, and that's where, you know, the other investment types, the simple term deposit is going to be attractive from that perspective. You know exactly what you're going to get, you know exactly how long it's going to take, and then you can reevaluate once things become a bit more clear in the other markets, you know, whether that's, you know, um, investment markets, property markets, whatever. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's a good discussion. There's certainly no definitive answer here, but um, it's about talking about the things that will be influencing people and and then how that shows through in the data that we see on a, on a regular basis as well. Yep, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and I just add to the, the whole data dependent thing is it's really interesting at the moment. You go from week to week and, and things are kind of oscillating a little bit. I think last week we had a... I don't kind of watch the global economy too closely, I guess, but you hear snippets here and there. I think there was quite a strong uh, US labor market figure, which is 
from memory and sort of experience, quite an important indicator that, that people really look at for, for how the US economy is going is, is really that job creation each month. Um, I mean, they create hundreds of thousands of jobs every month, I think, you know, it's a big number. But um, it was it was quite strong. So, you know, probably a week or two weeks ago, I was like, yep, you know, the Reserve Bank will definitely be, inflation's kind of definitely, well, not definitely, but that, that sort of gut feel starting to come through that our inflation had peaked and we've got this recession coming and that might sort of change the way the Reserve Bank looks at things. Well, uh, and part of that argument was what was happening offshore, that things were things were maybe easing off overseas too. But then another week comes along and actually you get a, a strong labour market uh, response or you know, result in America, which which suggests you know maybe inflation's got a bit further to go. Maybe they won't get a recession. You know, that argues for higher interest rates for longer. Now the Australia last week came out with uh, what you'd call a reasonably you know to use that phrase again the hawkish thing that they Australia's probably gone a bit softer on the interest rate outlook for a while. Now they're kind of back saying yeah hang on you know inflation might not be dead. We we could have to keep pushing up here. So. Yeah, it, it, it changes from week to week. And so I definitely wouldn't be, same as you, I wouldn't be just nice and easily assuming that, well, they go up to a peak and they sort of stay there for a while and come back down. It's all it's all nice and favourable for, for mortgage rates. Might not be the case. And who knows? We we might not we might not enter a recession. I don't think there's actually that many countries that are predicted to to go into recession recession. You kind of Okay, again, I haven't looked at it closely, but I think you're sort of only looking at maybe the UK and New Zealand that are sort of formally predicting recessions. So uh, is, is that really going to be the case? I mean, if everyone else is growing, you know, why wouldn't we? So, I, yeah, I'd, I'd just be cautious about that whole long-run story that, that interest rates do start to come back down again pretty soon. Yeah, and look, it's it's interesting, right, because I think we can all talk about history and we've been through different cycles and this is how we've typically seen things behave. I think it's fair to recognise this, you know, these, these, are, these are new cycles that are created and we're not in normal times. And, you know, there's been artificial um, things that have impacted uh, the global economy and that, that does mean that things could be quite different this time around. So, yeah, all well and good to say we've seen it happen before and this is how it's happened previously. Um, you know, there are things now which are very different and for that reason, it's hard harder to see how we might come out the other side of all this as well so yeah i think that's all a a, a decent discussion and, and certainly a summary on on you know why things are the way they are and and how to you know be comfortable i suppose or think in a comfortable way for for what might be next but um let's let's move on from that i think that more mind you when we look ahead at what's coming up this week a lot of it's going to be tied to the same um, discussion points um, you know, particularly when we look at, I know there's January rental data, so obviously very interesting from an investor's perspective. And then, of course, there's some Reserve Bank lending um, figures. We you talked earlier about the um, proportion of uh, first-time buyers that are using low um, uh, deposits, but of course we've got the DTI, the debt to income data that'll be out this week as well. And, and we did mention last week that there is that difference around the stock of lending data too, and how you know what the average of interest rates that people are on so um in terms of your expectations for this week mate that january rental data uh expecting that to continue to flatten out i'm guessing and then the dti data anything else on the lending data from reserve bank what have you seen or expecting on that that, that part of things yeah like you say it's there, there definitely isn't a best to focus to this week the, the weekly article they're right for one roof um sort of just by coincidence i was going through and doing my top five and they all kind of related to investors so that's kind of flowed through to today. But yeah, January rental data uh, due out Tuesday. 
depending on when you listen. Uh, this is so we look at mainly here the the newborns lodged measure. So it's kind of the flow of rents in the uh, in the Stats New Zealand data. It's been pretty much flat since April. So yeah, I mean I'd anticipate more of the same. There's been nothing really to to suggest that that, that will go off course. Uh, Obviously, a challenge for landlords, again, good for tenants, you know, who have been sort of under the hammer a little bit in terms of rent increases over the past kind of 12 to 18 months. So, uh, yep, look out for that on Tuesday. I don't anticipate that being being pretty flat again. And, yeah, the, the DTI numbers, um, debt-to-income ratio stuff, really important data set. You know, we know that the Reserve Bank's looking at this pretty closely with a view to bringing in official caps on, on DTIs early next year. So, obviously, a lot of uncertainty yet about exactly what form that might take, the, the level they're set at, who it applies to, speed limits, all these sorts of things. Um, but these these next figures will be out uh, towards the end of the week. Yep, Friday, 3 p.m., so pretty late in the in the piece. But uh, important data set, these will cover October to December, uh, so that tail end of 2022. And, um, yeah, I mean, what's what we've been seeing lately is that they've actually been moderating anyway. So the share of lending going out, at a high DTI has been coming down, certainly coming down pretty sharply for investors. And it's it's a natural thing. As interest rates go up, you can't service as much debt out of a given income. So it, it kind of does tend to come down naturally as, as interest rates go up uh, to the point where now it's actually, depending on where the Reserve Bank set any caps, the, the, the level has fallen away so far already that those caps might not actually be really that binding if and when they come in early next year. Still a wee way to go. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what's happened over October October to December. I think the DTIs, are, if and when they come in, as, as formal caps, it probably won't be so much about the cycle because we'll already be under them. It's more about what happens next and, you know, it does kind of put another long-run restraint on, on capital growth, you know, coming back to that that debate, the discussion we had at the start about the economics of investment. You know, if DTIs come in, you it, it may make it harder to get the finance in the first place, but also it naturally tends to link house price growth to income. So, so really, any future capital gains, okay, you get cycles around it, but but the long run trend for house price growth will probably be more closely linked to incomes, which grow at three or four percent a year. So it may it may suggest that the future capital growth for for your investment sums. Uh, should potentially be lower than what it has been in the past. So, um, yeah, it's a pretty big change, potentially, those DTIs, so an important data set to, to keep an eye on. And, um, yeah, in terms of those stocks figures from the Reserve Bank, they, they wear out. Um, there's lots of different things you can look at in there, but I suppose the, the key one that most people are looking at is, is the share of debt on a fixed loan and due to reprice. And um, it's currently about 50% is fixed and due to reprice in the next 12 months. So there's there's still quite a big, quite a big repricing thing to get through. You've got another 10 or 11% floating. So there's there's quite a proportion that's, I guess, exposed to the rate rises. What might the change be? Well, never quite sure because we don't know when they took out their loan originally, but I suspect it would probably still be fairly typical over the next six to nine months that people are looking at a change of 2%, 2.5%, something like that. Um, that change really tails off as you get towards the end of this year. But for let's say for the next six months, those people repricing could still be looking at a pretty big change. So it's I think it's that combined thing. And, and I guess it's it's just another reason to think that the property market stays relatively restrained, at least for the first half of the year. So yeah, that's that. And, and the flow through from that, of course, on those people who then have to put more money towards their mortgage. 
that meaning that they don't spend as much on their disposable income through the disposable spending, sorry, um, which again then puts that constraint on the economy and pushes us closer to that recession as well. So I think that's where the extra link, of course, comes through. Um, all right, mate. Well, there's a couple of other things, of course, we will um, be focusing on this week. Maybe we don't, go, don't need to go into uh, too much detail, but we will look out for the Rhine's house price index and sales figures coming out this week. I know migration data for December is also out this week, and that has started to turn um, into the positives as well. So we'll, we'll, we'll pay, pay close attention to that one, and we'll discuss these things next week, of course. Mentioned it last week. I, got, I jumped the gun a little bit that we've got the pain and gain report for Q4 last year coming out this week. Um, so that'll talk about the proportion of properties that sold in that last quarter last year for a profit or a loss. And of course, we're going to see that slight tick up in those taking the loss there. Um, and the other thing that obviously we, we will continue to try and do as much as we can, especially from our for our clients. So it may not come into the public consciousness as much as, as supporting them when it comes to um, the floods. And now we know that we had the, the significant floods two or three weeks ago now, expectation of more rain over the next day or so. Um, we'll certainly be working with our um, you know, our specialists really in that that hazard and climate risk teams to ensure that we've got as much information as possible to support our clients in the banking and insurance industry to ensure they understand their level of exposure and where they can help their clients and their own customers out um, for who might need the most assistance because we can see so quickly from aerial imagery um, who's actually been affected by any, any flooding that occurs to a great degree over the next 24 or 48 hours as well. So that might be one if you are listening and you are a client of ours to ask more questions. You know, Calvin and I can certainly help you out. We've got more specialists in that space as well who will be able to um, assist in even greater detail if you haven't already heard from things like your own client director. So I wanted to make sure we just acknowledge that because I know there's lots going on in that space. Um, and, and there probably will be in the next, you know, coming years as well. You know, the more and more we're recognising these natural hazards, the impact of climate change and how that affects property and, and where we need to be living and building and, and putting infrastructure and all those things as well. So, you know, it's one that I'm certainly quite um, passionate about and getting closer to it as well. Because um, I do think that, you know, the, the, the position that CoreLogic as a business is in, we can do much more to help our clients, which then flows through to, you know, the consumers and, and those owners of property as well. So, um, yeah, look, a couple of things there to look out for. Um, I mean, did you want to mention any dates on those ones or anything in particular you're looking out for those releases this week, Calvin, before we um, maybe close out and get on with our days today? Uh, not, not too much, I suppose. Yeah, just watch for pain again this week. I suppose we're just slightly uh, unsure yet as the exact day, but it'll come out at some point this week. And um, next week, whether the reports come come thick and fast, we'll put out a housing affordability report next week, which we do every six months. Uh, looks at a bunch of different measures right across the country, you know, long run context, uh, cross sectional. So um, pretty pretty detailed in there. Uh, affordability, I mean, a teaser, it's improved a little bit on some measures, but I guess it's it's still pretty stretched. So again, it, keep harking back to it. But if, if you're thinking about sort of long run capital growth, it, it, there's some reasons to think even from that report that, that it could be a bit more subdued because affordability is still stretched even after the, the house price falls. Uh, we've still got a, a pretty pretty poor affordability position in, in lots of different areas. So um, yeah, look out for that one too. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. We never never seem to be short of content, mate. And uh, it sounds like next week's podcast might be uh, fairly packed. And the week after, we'll have affordability plus the OCR. So next couple of weeks, will we'll no doubt be some uh, lengthy and, and in-depth discussions of what's going on in the market right now. And certainly, you know, setting us up for that year as well. And um, by the end of February, I think we've got a pretty good feel. And we'll be well into our presentations to clients by then too, which will um, which helps shape our thinking, I think, sometimes as to, you know, the broad state of the market. So, yep. Um, interesting couple of weeks coming up and, and one we'll have um, some intense discussions on no doubt so that's all for us today um, thanks as per usual for your insight of course I was AWOL again last week in Australia so you've once again just uh, led everything from a research perspective so thank you very much for that thank you very much for listening and for interacting please do get in touch and subscribe and hit the auto download button so every week you get that podcast straight to your player and do feel free to get in touch with us we are available on Twitter LinkedIn and our email address is all within the podcast player you're listening through right now uh, leaving to say thanks again. My name is Nick. He's Calvin. You've been listening to the New Zealand Property Market Podcast. Matiwa. Ma